When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11. Andrew, how are you today? I'm good. I'm uh, surprised that we aren't opening up with a little bit of shade thrown my way since I had to postpone us a day here, but um, appreciate those that reached out and asked where the pod was and actually missed it. Um, <laughs> yep, just running a little bit behind here. So we'll, we'll get into our, our picks for this week, our preview of the Utah-Oregon game. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's get into it, Doug. Yeah. So obviously start with Utah, Oregon. And and I think the, the big question, the big unknown in this game, you know, really makes it difficult to preview the game in some ways and to, and to pick the game of course, is what's Bo Nix's status is, is he play? Does he not play? If he does play, how, how healthy is he? How mobile is he? Is he got the full, the full game plan at his disposal or is it a, a limited, uh, limited running situation for him so that's obviously we don't know nobody knows and things said over the internet in both directions so you know then who you believe or not believe you know it could be could go either way uh, oregon also had a couple offensive linemen leave the game last with injuries uh ryan walk left early in the game didn't return uh and then of course um had had the shoulder you know issue of some sort, you know, probably contributed to that unfortunate timing of that bad snap on that long drive, and Lane, and I think he he missed the final drive game as well. So that their status also up in the air. We don't know. Other than that, and it sounds like you know Stephen Jones may be returning. Um, I think he might have been close to available last week, but he might be available if some of those offensive linemen are are out. So that, that at least would provide some depth. It sounds like Chase. Dakota might be turning. We don't know that that either of them are going to be ready to play this game, but there's been some some signs uh, this week at coming out of practice that that one or both of them may be may be able to play. So that would certainly help Oregon in in that case. Yeah, just kind of looking at the injuries. Um, the the big one is obviously Nick's. Like he's the least replaceable player on the roster. Um, I I don't know the way he was able to come back into that game. I'd be somewhat surprised if he doesn't play especially considering what's on the line here, right? Like Oregon wins. Um, they're in a really, really strong spot to get back to the Pac-12 title game. Uh, just that alone, I think, even if it's like close, I think Knicks will push it and play. Might limit a little bit what you can do offensively with him. You're obviously not going to be calling a lot of quarterback run, but uh, there's there's different ways to attack, and I'm sure that Kenny Dillingham will have a good plan regardless. Uh, on the offensive line, Forsyth, what you're, what you're losing with him if he's unable to go, um, is really a lot of experience. I know you and I talked about this just now before com- going live. Forsyth has been playing at Oregon for about 25 years now, um, and there's really a whole, not a whole lot he hasn't seen uh, in terms of getting in and out of protections, um, getting to the right line call, especially if Nix isn't available. I think it's a much bigger loss than if Nix is. Um, 
if Nix is available and is playing, and let's just say it's Jackson Powers Johnson um, at at center, I'm pretty sure that he that between Nix and JPJ, um, they'd be able to get us into good calls. And the one thing that I think JPJ does really well for a young offensive lineman that is typically where you'd be worried um, is he's really good in the stunt game. He's good at picking up games and blitzes. Uh, he has really good natural peripheral vision and instincts. So I think I think that's something that's a positive. Uh, a positive for JPJ that I think makes that that loss um, not not a, it's obviously never a good thing to lose your starting center, but it makes it uh, more survivable than maybe it otherwise could be. Um, and then and then with Walk, um, if if you're getting Jones for Walk, it's pretty much a wash in my opinion. Uh, but you'd like to see Walk get back in the lineup as soon as possible. But either way, the the big one is Nick's. If Nick's plays, um, I think my outlook on this game is very very much different than if he doesn't. So we'll, I, I'll be eagerly anticipating um, the, the the word early before that game so that you can get a bet in because the, the line has dropped substantially um, since some of the uncertainty following the Chris Hudson comments has arose. Yeah, I think it actually flipped a uh, favorite by a couple points, and, and now I think Utah is a two-point favorite. Um, so it's, it's gone about a four- to five-point swing over the course of this week. Uh, real quick, since you've done, you know, Pac-12 conference title game scenarios a little bit. And for those of you who follow me on Twitter at DouglasTS, um, you, you'll see the chart that I put out earlier this week that has all the scenarios and all the possibilities for the five teams that are still in the running for uh, for the for playing game. And and I'll just touch on it from an Oregon perspective. Uh, you know, Washington has a very narrow path. UCLA has a, a pretty narrow path, and it's really Oregon, Utah, and USC that all control their own destiny here. Um, for Oregon and Utah, the if Utah wins this game, they've clinched a spot. You know, for all for, they have clinched a spot if they win this game. If Oregon wins this game, they haven't exactly clinched, but there there's one scenario that involves Oregon losing to Oregon State the following week, Cal beating UCLA, Washington running, um, USC beating UCLA, then Oregon can can miss out. You know, but if they win this game. They're pretty much locked in, other than that one one scenario. Um, and game the loser of this game could be completely if USC wins Saturday, then the loser of them is eliminated from the Pac-12 title game. If UCLA, then the loser of Oregon and Utah still have some pathways to getting to the title game. But it's certainly you know at that point you rely. And help. Um, so you don't want to go down that road. So the you know massive, massive implications of this game. You know the winner, the winner is almost certainly in Vegas. It's in the case of Utah, almost certainly in the case of Oregon, and the loser is has got an uphill battle to to get there. So big impacts on the line. Uh, and obviously, as you said, you know the Knicks situation is is going to contribute to to which way that goes. Quite a bad Um so I guess we could we could jump into it now. Let's start with you know maybe Utah's offense um, you know, against Oregon's defense. We certainly saw last week with Oregon's defense not very good against us. Uh, that in the same way that Washington was too. Um, n- yes and no. So I I think that Cameron Rising is an equally competent quarterback to Michael Penix. Um, but they, they do it in different ways, and the offenses are constructed in completely different ways. Utah, in a perfect world, would like to rely on their run game. 
Um, and their run game statistically has improved a lot the last couple of weeks as they've faced some weaker competition. Uh, but early on in the season, it was not particularly efficient. Uh, right now, it's grading out at uh, their 18th in EPA per rush, um, and they are 10th in average line yards. That's up substantially from about three or four weeks ago where they were down in the 40s. This This is an offensive line for Utah that I think is good, but it's not elite. Um, and it's a solid group of running backs. That, that I think you can count on them to run hard and get what's there. Um, none of them are particularly explosive in the open field. Uh, but this that's a, that's a unit that I think that uh, an Oregon defensive unit that's coming in at 30th in EPA per rush, um, that's done a very, very good job for the most part, 29th in average line yards allowed. I think that's a matchup that Oregon can at least stalemate and really force Utah to win this game through the air. Um, and that's an area where that should be a concern for duck fans. Like if, if you watched last week, you know, um, Oregon did their best to keep everything in front and still gave really hemorrhaged yards and, um, really struggled to get off the field in third down situations. The one thing I'll say here from a personnel standpoint is that Utah does not have anything approaching the wide receiver room, um, from an explosiveness standpoint that, that Washington was able to put out on the field. Uh, U- Utah has really been a, a an offense that has been run through the tight ends uh, up the seams, primarily in the middle of the field since Andy Ludwig's got there. Uh, they are currently down Brent Keithy, and the status of Dalton Kincaid is unknown. Do you know, Doug, do you have any idea on Dalton Kincaid? I have not seen an update on that either. Okay, so uh, if King, if Kincaid is unable to go, that's a big loss for, for the Utes, uh, somebody that's been by far their most reliable and dependable receiver and probably their most explosive receiving threat since the Keithy injury. Uh, and he's their second tight end. So on the outside, this is a very average group, but as we've seen, Oregon is very capable of making average groups of receivers um, look better than they are. Although I do think this is a group that Oregon will have a better time of uh, kind of keeping in front and forcing Utah to drive the field. I think th- I think this Oregon defense is capable of finding more stops against a team that's constructed this way and that it, from a identity standpoint wants to be able to run the ball and will try to force it through uh, through volume of attempts in a way that Washington just wasn't going to. They weren't committed to it. They weren't going to try to be committed to it. Um, and they knew, where the, they knew where their bread was buttered. Um, Utah ideally would like to throw uh, off play action primarily uh, working those seams and working the tight ends. Yeah, I mean, you know, Oregon is pretty good against the run this year. Um, obviously, Utah is a team that was able to run the ball really effectively on Oregon last year. Uh, you know, twice. Um, do you see that? Do you, how do you see that matchup going? I mean, yeah, I covered it a little bit. I I don't think that that's a matchup that's a very clear win um, for for Utah in this game. Like last year, Oregon was extremely banged up in the front seven, really struggling with defensive line depth. Right now, with Taimani coming back into the rotation, and Jordan Riley, uh, Keanu Williams playing better snaps, more snaps, guys like Dorless, uh, Keanu Hudson, Casey Rogers, there's a substantial depth on the interior of the defensive line for the Ducks. And frankly, like for whatever the linebackers have struggled in coverage, uh, this is a group that can play downhill against a more traditional run attack in a way that I think gives them a lot of opportunities uh, to be successful. So I think that this is a, a game where Oregon can take away the run 
um, and really force Utah to win through the air. Now, one thing I will say is that Cam Rising's legs and his ability to improvise and escape the pocket is definitely going to be a factor in this game. Uh, Oregon's ability to limit his explosiveness with his legs um, and get him on the ground when they get opportunities is something that Oregon's really struggled with. Uh, when they pass rush is getting guys on the ground, finishing sacks. That's going to be important because he will be able to convert plays with his legs. He will be able to make the first guy miss and get out of the pocket. And so if Oregon's going to take a step forward defensively and try to improve upon what was really a poor effort last week, that's an area that has to be improved on if they want to give themselves a chance with or without Bo Nix. Yeah, I think, you know, as the story of the theme of the Pac-12 as a whole, you know, especially at the top of the Pac-12, right? Really good offenses. You know, Utah has a really good offense. Um, similar to Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, all of those teams have, you know, top 15-ish offenses in the country. Um, and Utah, you know, they like to do it in a balanced fashion, right? They're not, not aired out like USC and, and Washington. And they're more balanced like UCLA and Oregon. So I, I do, to your point, I do think that Oregon's defense is probably aired. I don't want to say stop because I don't think they're going to stop Utah's offense, but I think they are. It is a better matchup from Oregon's perspective than let's say Utah was right. Um, I think, like you said, their, their outside talent isn't as, um, you know, as much of an advantage for Utah. Uh, you know, at least it hasn't proven that way over the course of the last couple of seasons, the tight ends, you know, is the, Kincaid is definitely the the worry point if he's in there. I think he caught in one game this year on 18 targets, which is just an insane number. Um, so that's really the the biggest concern. You know, Oregon we struggled to guard tight a season ago. We had a pattern repeat itself this year to all the same level of concern. Uh, whether that's just because offenses have been going at Oregon in different places, or, or whether it's Oregon's defending the tight end better, maybe some of both. Um, Oregon. Is has been better against a run this year, to your point. And I think Utah's going to try to establish the run, but I think can can you know keep those early down gains to a minimum, right, and get Utah into the third and medium, you know, third and long situations. I, I think that's certainly going to be something Oregon can can hopefully rely on. And and again, you know, turning turning those drives into field goals when they do get down into the red zone. I think Oregon's been pretty good. He, even staff of that Washington game was very similar defensively for Oregon as this, you know, right where they really limited Washington to one touchdown and forced them to take a couple of field goals. Uh, I think the problem was, you know, their offense just wasn't clicking. Oregon's offense just wasn't clicking in that game the way they did in the UCLA games. The second half was much different. But if they can do that to Utah and hold them to field goals, that's a win. Yeah, absolutely. I think that. Like you, you deploy your defense similarly to how you deployed against Washington. I think that you find more success. There's just less. There's less of a threat on the outside. Guys like Solomon Enos, um, they, like, they're 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 good receivers. They're fine, but they're not the explosive threats that Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunze are. Um, and so I think that that what that creates is an opportunity for Oregon, especially because like let's just be honest, like Andy Ludwig is not the offensive play caller that. Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb are. Um, he's all, he's going to lean into what he does. He's going to play a lot of really standard sets, and they're going to try to like they're going to try to use power to um, to really set the tone 
And so I think that that creates an opportunity where Oregon can go strength on what I get. I think that, that Utah would assume that's their strength. I don't know that I would agree with them. Um, but th that right there, just based on the way that Whittingham likes to win and likes to play offensively, and Andy Ludwig traditionally has called his offense, I think is a, it's an it's a open door for Oregon to have more success defensively than they had a week ago. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. But, um, any any other thoughts on the offense of Utah versus Oregon? No, Dorgan have any injuries? Not really. on defense. Note. No, Dorlis goes a little banged up at one point in the game. Ended up coming back in. Um, nothing. Okay. Uh, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. So, Oregon again. <laughs> this is a hard one to cover. Not Knicks, right? Uh, so maybe we talk about what we would expect if Nick's plays and then maybe we can shift a little bit and, and talk about anything that might front if, if he doesn't play. you know from a from a defensive perspective I'll just start and say you know a lot of people and I think I've said this a number of times this year right like the narratives of people that follow from a national perspective particularly right that follow a conference or a team from afar tend to lag reality by usually a full season so, you know, at the beginning of the season, everyone's talking about Utah's defense, Utah's physicality on the on the lines and on the defensive line and particularly and, and what a hard-nosed team they are. And I do think they're a physical and hard-nosed team because that's the way their coach, that's his persona and what he instills. But defensively, they dropped off considerably from last season to this season as far as their their effectiveness on defense particularly against the run they are they are really poor against the run which is something you would like to think especially with Knicks being you know a little banged up that Oregon would really try to lean into yeah so Oregon so I'm just going to operate under the assumption that Knicks is playing this game yep um and if he doesn't it if it doesn't it, it changes a couple dynamics but I don't it it changes the game a lot from a like I, I expect Oregon's offense to be much more successful at Knicks, um, but if Knicks is unable to run a lot and he's on the field and you, so you're trying to kind of keep him upright and protect him and, and and keep him out of obvious run situations maybe in a way that Oregon hasn't done recently in recent weeks like they like last week for instance um, the the way that you can like regain that numbers advantage in the box is by implementing more RPO than Oregon has ran typically this season. So start reading second and third level defenders to keep them out of the run game, um, as opposed to holding a first or second level defender with the threat of Nix's legs. Um, and so I think that would be a pretty easy pivot point for Kenny Dillingham so that they're still running against the same boxes that they've been running against. Uh, teams have been trying to keep things in front against Oregon. Uh, Washington stayed in the too high shell despite the fact that Oregon was just gashing them. Um, largely in part to the fact that like Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton both have proven now at this point in the season to be extremely viable threats just to get over the top and get it all at once. Um, and so because of that threat on the outside and the threat that Knicks can, can deliver the ball downfield with accuracy, uh, I... I don't. I don't think that Oregon's going to have any problem really establishing the run game here um, against a team that's really, really struggled. Like Utah is currently ninety um, seventh in EPA per rush. Oregon is first offensively in EPA per rush. So that that right there is like a huge advantage. Oregon should be able to control clock. 
Um, they should be able to slow this thing. If they can find themselves with a lead uh, and win the middle eight, they should be able to control clock late in this game and limit possessions for Utah, which I think if you're playing with a quarterback that's not 100% health, that's that's a really positive thing. That's something I think that you really want to you want to lean into um, if you're Kenny Dillingham and Dan Lanning. Yeah, I, you know, Oregon is the number one team in the country as far as, far as early success uh, success rate. So first and second down success rate, um, and they're fourth in the country. Get a first down on seventy six percent of their sec of their first and second down snaps. Utah is a hundred and third country in that in that metric. So they allow other teams to get a first down on on second down seventy seven percent of the time. So if Oregon plays the game that they've been playing year which is us keeping out of the chain. I mean, Utah has been ineffective this year, thus far. Of course, you know, you get in third and short, and that's going to be helpful for Utah. Oregon has, has really been very successful in, in third and fourth and short all, all year long. Yeah, I mean, Oregon is seventh in power success rate, um, and, like, they're, they're doing a really good job. Again, first in average line yards. Um, still first in sack rate, only allowed two sacks on the entire season so far, um, which is really an unprecedented rate for the Oregon offensive line, especially when you consider kind of the rotating door. The only consistent like mainstays for the Oregon offensive line this year have been the tackles. The entire interior has been kind of a uh, a mix mash of guys, depending on who's available on a week-to-week basis. I, I think that this is a defense that this Oregon offense is really built to exploit um, in kind of a similar way to the way that Utah exploited the Oregon offense or Oregon defense last year. Um, pound on the ground, use play action, work the screen game, RPO. I just think that because of the way that Utah's, like if Utah really wants to try to stop the run, they're going to have to commit bodies and they're going to put themselves in, in really difficult situations on the edge. Um, whether it's the quick screen game or, or trying to take shots vertical to guys like Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, maybe even Chase Coda if he's available in this game. Uh, because you have you have a lot of speed on the outside, and outside of Clark Phillips, who I don't think is 100% confirmed is even going to play in this game, the corner room for, for Utah is not, I mean, I would say the entire defensive secondary is not what it's been, maybe maybe not what their reputation would say it's been over the last five years. So I, I don't know. I, there's a lot of really winnable matchups for Oregon here. I think the tight ends, working against the linebacker room that's substantially less talented than it was a year ago, um, losing Devin Lloyd, uh, Nephi Sewell. This is a Utah team that doesn't rush the passer well at all. Um, they have to blitz to rush the passer. And so because of that, they're extremely aggressive in the way that they uh, bring pressure and their pressure rates. And so having a veteran quarterback um, in there who can distribute the ball and who's who's patient enough to take the check down. I think that's been one of Bo Nix's strengths this season so far, uh, finding the backs out of the backfield. But I think a, a well-designed screen game, some RPOs, um, I, I really think that you can keep this team on the heels, keep them guessing, and Oregon can stay ahead of the chain. So if Nix is playing, I really feel good about this offensive performance um, in and, and, and the matchup here for the Ducks offensively, which is why they were favored. Um, obviously, since the the secondary is a, is a notable weakness for Oregon, without Knicks with Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield, this this becomes a lot more dicey. Um, a lot of the high percentage um, passing plays and and stuff that we know are high percentage, like really staples of the offense that you can count on, 
um, become less dependable, at least going into the game from a projection standpoint. Maybe they can still execute, but that's less of a, a sure thing um, without Knicks in the lineup. So uh, my, my confidence in the offense would drop substantially. I don't, I don't think that this is a top-five offense without Knicks in the lineup. So hopefully he can be healthy. Yeah, I think, I think the question then is, does that does a game like that start to look, you know, more like what I don't mean from a scoreboard perspective necessarily, but just you know, watching Oregon's offense as Utah's defense that look start to look somewhat like we saw last year, right, where Utah just loads up to stop the running game and and Oregon has has no answer. Well, um, you know, you go ahead. I don't. I don't know that that would be the case. Like whoever it is, right? If it's not Knicks, that means that Thompson or Butterfield has been getting the reps all week. Um, and then if that's the case, then they're going to have some throw game installed. They're going to have some stuff that they feel confident running with those quarterbacks. Like yeah, they're going to lean on the run, but they're not going to be predictable about it in the way that Oregon was last year. Like Oregon could not throw the ball at all last year. Um, with Anthony Brown at quarterback against Utah. And that Utah front was just substantially better. Like, they didn't have to really overload with bodies. Um, Like, we saw Washington in that fourth and one really go to a completely different defensive structure. And I would argue that entire drive than they had ran the the entire game prior um, without Knicks in the game. But that's because with where the game was in game state, Oregon wasn't going to take the risk of having one of the younger quarterbacks throw the ball cold off the bench in a big spot, right? Um, With a week to prepare, it's not going to be the same look. Um, No matter who's at quarterback for Oregon, there's going to be some throw game that they feel comfortable running. Yeah, that makes sense. Any other thoughts on this matchup? No, I I mean, I think this is a good game. I think this is a game that Oregon wins if Knicks plays, frankly. Um, Not that that's going to really surprise anybody. Um, The line has moved pretty substantially with the rumors. I would, I would very, very happily um, take Oregon minus or plus two at home if Knicks is playing in this game. Uh, I, I just think that Oregon's going to be able to stay ahead of the chains. I, I really don't like. Even if Knicks is hurt, like the one thing you'd worry about is pass rush, right? Well, with Van Fillinger out of the lineup, they lost Mika Tafua last year to the NFL draft. They don't have anybody who's a pass rusher, and the Oregon offensive line has been absolutely tremendous at keeping the quarterback upright this year and so with with intelligent play calling um a bad pass rush and a really really good offensive line i think that this is a game where even if nix is at 75 80 percent um you can still have a lot of success offensively yeah i I totally agree with that this utah defense is not is not what they have been in years past and obviously you know it's going to be a, a cold night, uh, dry, you know, no rain in the, or another similar to Washington, but later. So a little colder. I think it's going to be in the third, you know, in the thirties for at least second half of the game, maybe low forties that kickoff, but clear, uh, atmosphere in Austin again. I think, I think the crowd will be there. It'll be loud and, and everything's on the line for both, both of these teams. I mean, intangibles, I think are going to play a factor here too, that, Hard to really that'll go, but you know, Utah you're not going to be phased by the crowd. They've this team's played in a lot of you know, a lot of big games. The stakes are big in this game, and, and I think Rising, you know, is a guy that I see here. Um, yeah, he just he's 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 just like like a Houdini there sometimes, right? You think you got the play stopped, um, and then he makes something 
happen with this. Where he, you know, rolls out and gets out of the pocket and scrambles and finds someone downfield. He's he's kind of like DTR, but not like DTR at the same time, right? He's slippery and makes stuff happen, you know, in a very kind of different way than DTR, but to the same end result, right? It's a I think he's a factor if Oregon's able to contain him and keep him from from making all of those crucial third down, four down plays that he's done so often. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, the more that Andy Ludwig calls runs in this game, the better off Oregon is defensively. So, um, traditionally, they've been a pretty balanced team. They've they've wanted to run the ball. I wouldn't be surprised to see Utah depart from their typical, like, run-pass split a little bit in this game um, and try to make some plays on the outside and challenge in Oregon, kind of have the copycat game plan. Like, early in the season after Georgia, everybody wanted to run quick screens, get the ball out on the edge. Oregon proved to be competent at stopping that. Um, right now, Oregon is not proving to be competent at stopping uh, the the outside in vertical pass until until they do. I think that teams are going to copy that, and even if it's not their strength, they're going to try to execute it. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see Utah break tendency a little bit in this game and try to come out and chuck it around. If Oregon can find some success early in drives um, and keep them behind the chains, I I think that that means good things. I think they can find some stops. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll be taking Oregon in this game uh, plus two at home. Like I don't. Just because a home win streak loses doesn't mean that Watson isn't a really tough place to come win. Um, and, and if Knicks is playing, then I'm taking the Ducks. Yeah, I think that, you know, we talked about some intangibles and X factors. And I think the the flip side of that, you know, on, on Oregon's ledger is, you know, having lost that game last week to the team that they did in the way that they did, you know, they know they know they let one go, right? They know they, they lost some opportunities you know not just for you know some of their season goals but also so you know in name and the way that the way that it went down and things that could have you know one play here one play there that that changed the outcome of that game and, and that those guys motivated and hungry and and ready to come out and prove that you know that's they're a better team than that and and they want to show it this week and um you know obviously still a lot of big goals ahead of them if they can win this game right they can they can get to 10 and 2 they can get to vegas and play in the packed whole title game they can get to a rose bowl uh you know play and play in that game and, and potentially though so i think oregon's going to come out you know fired up ready to to wipe last week off the slate uh, and step forward with this one so i again if next play I'm next here too. We'll we'll make our picks here in a second. But um, yeah, I, I I think that's a. I think Oregon's going to be ready. I, I, this team showed that they're not they're not a team. I think their culture strong. I think their their unity and their coaching. I think is going to get them turned around. So I'm not I'm not worried about a hangover yeah. you know effect from from last week at all. I'm going to be honest. Like some of like some of the like he, like head hanging and just like eoreness by the Oregon fan base this week. I get it. Like I don't like losing to the to the Huskies just like anybody else. But like that that game was very winnable. Like in a lot of ways Oregon snatched defeat from the jaws of victory down the stretch in that game. Um and it, it's one of those things where they they had a mulligan that they had earned, right? Like they they're 8 and 2, but they're 7 and they're or they have they have one loss in conference, right? They control their own destiny. When when win and all of the goals are still in front of them. And so I don't think this is going to be a team or a coaching staff that allows the loss to Washington to hang over into Utah week, um, especially with the way that those two Utah games went last year. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm counting, I'm betting on this team to be 
to bounce back and be ready to rock and roll. Um, and even if it's without Knicks, I still expect substantial fight and energy. Um, and hopefully the fans can follow through and bring that as well. So with that said, let, let's move on to our picks. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we're going to do a light slate this week. Um, I looked around again. Quite honestly, the games suck. There's just sucky games this week because it's week 12. And the SEC, most of the SECs have their, their sacrificial land and patsies ahead of their rivalry games next next week even in the other conferences there's really almost no ranked on trips and in fact there might be none um i looked at maybe the one game i looked at doing was tcu baylor but you know that didn't really get me super excited so i'm just we're gonna skip it and we're just 12 games this week and uh and then we'll a big week 13 to finish it off next week so let's start with this one um i got we got oregon uh uh, as a third dog at home to be using, so I think I'll just say it. I'm, I'm taking Oregon. Yeah, I'm taking Oregon plus two as well, um, especially if Knicks plays. If Knicks plays, they should be a favorite. They should probably be close to a touchdown favorite. So, um, yeah, definitely taking Oregon at home over Utah. It, it, without Knicks, I probably I wouldn't I wouldn't bet this, but with Knicks, absolutely would bet this. Uh, moving on. We've got Oregon State going on the road to Tempe to take on Arizona State. Uh, Oregon State is an eight-point road favorite. Uh, I'm going to take the Beavers in this one. The only thing Arizona State's really been able to hang their hat on uh, is the passing game with Borgay at quarterback. Oregon State secondary, probably the best in the conference right now, playing really good football. I think that they're able to kind of keep that tamp down, good weather. Uh, hopefully Oregon State can find somewhat of a passing game in this in this setting. Uh, and I think I think the Beavers win by eight plus. Yeah, uh, you know Oregon State has not been a good road team for most of this season, and Arizona State kind of has this revival under Borgay. You know that eight points—that's a lot. You know Arizona State's at home. Maybe they're gonna you know keep this one closer. But you know Oregon State's performed up at Washington two two weeks ago. I think was yeah, I think. The- Season is at the right time, I guess I would say. You know, mid-season, Oregon's is in danger. You know, their quarterbacks were throwing picks every which way you turned. I think their season was in danger of of really snowballing. Um, you know, kind of like they did at the end of last year. They lost like three or four games in a row to end the season last year and limp into the finish line. But but this year, I think they hit that point and then they came out out of it and and they're like uh, they're on a roll. They're peaking at the right time. You know, they they see a nine and three season in their, you know, in their, their potential, um, you know, to end this year, if they can win this one and then beat the ducks at home, which, you know, they're going to be fired up for that one next week. So I think Oregon state's going to win this one as one. And I like them to cover that eight. No problem. Let's move on Excellent. now to USC uh, at UCLA. Obviously the other big game in the PAC 12 this week, there's, you know, college playoff implications here. SC still the, the lone PAC 12 school with only one loss so therefore has a chance to make it to to the uh to the college football playoffs if they can run the table uh, but they're going to ucla a game that sold out at the rose bowl probably a lot of usc fans have bought a lot of those tickets um and and this one's going to be really interesting i think it's about a 50 50 here we got usc with uh, as a two and a half point ucla obviously ucla coming off the absolutely crushing loss to arizona which took their Pac-12 title hopes from 
like really really strong to to now now they need a ton to make it to the game even if they win this one they need help so that was a pretty crushing blow to utah how did ucla how do they respond this qb who do you like in this one I, I like UCLA. Like I think that part of the calculation last week was a look ahead um, for for the Bruins and having this game at home. Apparently, only six thousand seats were sold to Trojan fans. Um, so supposedly UCLA. Pick it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll see here. Um, but if it really is close to like like a six to one split of of Bruins fans, this might be the best environment in a non. Uh, January 1st game in the Rose Bowl in a long time. So uh, I'm going to take the Bruins. I think Chip is going to have them ready to rock and roll. I think that the scheme is going to be good. Uh, like This is quietly one of, like, like these teams really don't like each other. Uh, this is a really good rivalry. So, I, again, I'm, I'm going to take the Trojans. I think that um, the, the fact that you, USC can't stop the run at all is going to be a problem in this game. Uh, and UCLA is going to find the stops necessary uh, to pull this one out in a really high-scoring affair. Yeah, I do think this one's going to be a shootout. Two, like we said in the Pac-12, are two really, really good offenses, two not-so-good defenses. USC's defenses really were, like you said, just at downright terrible against the... I mean, just abysmal against... I think UCLA's going to run a lot. Um, I think UCLA's defense is not great, but I do think they, they, make, they can make some plays here and there. I trust them more to make some plays in this game than, than SC. Probably, I think, DTR being at home game i think he's going to be you know on the best dtr kind of trajectory for this game i think ucla wants to wipe away last week they want to wipe away sc knock them out of the playoffs knock them out of out of most likely knock them out of the, the conference time. um so yeah i, I uh, usc is going to give it their all but they've got it i think you're going to take this one as cover Perfect. Moving on here, we got Washington uh, as a home favorite by 31 points against Colorado. Uh, Washington's going to cover this, and so, yeah, that's all I have to say. I'm not going to do it, QB. I'm not going to dance around with the Colorado backdoor cover anymore. I'm over it. Uh, I'm not even going to mess around with it. It's Washington. Yeah, it's not a good matchup for Colorado either. Like They're, they're secondary lost all of its best players to the portal before the season started. Uh, Washington's going to be able to throw the ball over the place at home. Assuming the weather's decent, I don't think Washington has any any issues at all covering the 31. All right. good, Pretty good matchup here. Kind of sneaky good match. The Cougars go down to a desert to take on Arizona. Arizona's still got a shot at a bowl game. If they, they win this game and then the Terrial Territory Cup the following week, which is an absolutely heated, hated rivalry. Uh, also, probably under under appreciated around the country. Um, but the the uh, you know, this is key for them. Obviously, beating UCLA last week was nobody nobody was really expecting that. They, they obviously are great on offense. Their defense is absolutely abysmal. Um, Cougars have kind of turned their season around a little bit. Kind of Beavers in a playing a little as well so this one is a two or, or sorry a four point road favorite in this one i'm going to take the wildcats perfect i'm going to take the cougars because um arizona is very similar to stanford in the way that they cannot stop the run at all 
Washington State uh, is smart enough to do what the other team can't stop. We saw it against Stanford. Washington racked up almost 400 yards on the ground. I expect Washington State to run the ball here, and they've got the better. Def- they've got a good defense um, that I think could run sideline to sideline and play with this fast Arizona offense. That just leaves the big game. Stanford, yeah. I don't think there is the. I think it's big game. Just um, big game. That's so weird. Yeah. You say we're going to big game. Yeah, big game. Uh, Stanford I'm going go on the road. Big game. That's just weird. Yeah, Stanford Sorry. going on the road. Stanford going on the road to Cal. Cal's a five-point favorite. I'm taking Cal again. Stanford makes everybody look like like the Tennessee Titans run game, um, and because of that, Jade Knott is going to go crazy in this game. I expect this to be kind of like his second Arizona performance, not maybe to the extreme of. 270 something yards, whatever he had in that game. But I think that Jade Knott's going to have a big game on the ground. Um, Cal is going to bounce back, and it's going to make Justin Wilcox look smart for firing his offensive coordinator and offensive line coach in the last week. So, big game. You know, this team is going bowling, but there are huge stakes on the last game, QB. Obviously, it's, I don't know if you're whatever they do. Uh, statue the the kid who touched down in the crazy um you know 1980 game as or whatever it was so, so they're have a statue of that unveiled at the game they unveiled some uniform they want to chop down some trees but more importantly the loser of this game will finish 11th in our in our power poll so the, the stakes are on the line between 10th and 11th qb yeah, yeah, this game matters a whole lot to absolutely nobody, but I think it's going to be fun. Um, I I just think that David Shaw and the Stanford team have quit. Like, well, maybe not Shaw. I think Shaw is still kind of trying as much as he he knows how. Um, but I, I do think that Stanford's quit specifically defensively. Like, they're good in the secondary. Hopefully Cal doesn't get too cute and outsmart themselves. If they run the ball, they win this game, no problem. Um, they, they're competent defensively. Stanford is not competent offensively at this point in the season. Absolutely. All right. That wraps up our picks for the week. Any more uh, parting thoughts before we sign this one off and get ready for the game tomorrow? No, hopefully uh, I thought about fading myself today. I'm going to give myself one more week to trust. And then uh, I'm just going to absolutely go against myself next week if we keep having the same betting results. So um, hopefully, hopefully we turn it around. Hopefully the Ducks can get a win at home here. Uh, really important win. I think if, if you win this game and you're going to Corvallis, that's a really favorable matchup for the Ducks. I think that's one where, like, going against an offense that really struggles to throw the ball, uh, that's like the best possible case scenario with a, a, a title berth, a conference title berth on the line. So we'll see how the, the chips fall this weekend. But overall, I'm really excited to watch Oregon play. I'm excited to watch the rest of these Pac-12 games. Um, but this is going to be a weekend, I think, where I do a lot of things other than just watch college football, given how bad the national slate is. Yeah, it's definitely an opportunity for or get some honeydews done or get some shopping, you know, early Chris shopping in and whatever. Uh, you know, maybe if you needed to get your your bird or the big Thanksgiving holiday, whatever kind of errands you need to run, you know, this would be a Saturday to do it because the slate is not a strong one for sure. And the Ducks don't play 730, so lots of opportunity. And the bonus to recording late at night here is that we do get to point out that Washington basketball just lost to Cal Baptist. Um, so all the crap that we heard about losing to, what was it, UC Irvine? 
Uh, I yeah. think Cal Baptist might trump that one. So overall, T uh, Davis, whatever. One of the yeah, one of the schools that really has no business being able to stay on the court. But um, thank you everyone for listening. Make sure to follow the podcast at QB Eleven Show on Twitter. Assuming that Twitter is still active tomorrow when this goes live. Uh, <laughs> Make sure to follow Doug at Douglas TS, myself at QB11SD. We really appreciate all of your guys' support. Uh, we will talk to you guys on Monday morning on your commute in, hopefully uh, recapping an Oregon win.